there aren't many things that I'm 100% sure about. But I'm 100% sure that men think differently from women. <laughs> and like I've, I've zeroed in on this one, just kind of my life project. I, uh, I live with four women, and so I, I have an experiment going all the time, and it's proven again and again that men just think differently from women. One person has described it as uh, women's minds are like a computer with 25 different windows open all at the same time, five programs and four websites and six Excel spreadsheets and three different emails, all running in the background, all shifting from one to the other, managing all of the data, going from one to the other all the time. Men, on the other hand, we got one window open. It's the one right in front of us. That's the one we're zeroed in on. As a matter of fact, God created us not just to, to the point that we could have one window open. We can shut the whole thing down sometimes. Like we can just click shut off and it just all goes away. And we don't think about anything. That's why, wise, when you ask your husband, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. He really means it. I work. We're not thinking about anything. Men and women, they, the brains just don't work the same way. But I want to take two groups of people who their minds don't work exactly the same way. And I want to talk about the topic today of what are you thinking? Like what's in your mind? Not, maybe not how your mind works. I'm not sure I can sort that one out. But what do you hold in your mind? What are your thoughts? What's in there? Apparently to Jesus, this was a very important topic. He's asked at one point, what is the greatest commandment ever? Matthew chapter 22, he's sort of sparring with uh, some of the religious leaders that have always been trying to trick Jesus with their questions. And so one group has been throwing questions at Jesus and they've failed, so they kind of hand off to another group and they begin to ask questions. This, this is how it goes down. Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So two different religious leader groups. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, if you sum it up, if there's just one thing that I need to do, what is that one thing? Highest priority of all the rules, what's the most important one? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And we think about our faith, we often think heart and soul, right? We give our heart to Jesus. We use that sort of language. God is in us and our hearts. We, our soul is going to last forever. And so we think of that heart and soul uh, mindset, but Jesus included at the end, love the Lord your God with all of your mind. And that's the one that I want to camp out on today. Love God with all of your reasoning, with all of your logic, your, your imagination, all the things that make up your mind, your brain. Love God with that part of yourself as well. And we, and we have emotional responses to God, and those are good. God created us emotional beings with feelings. 
But Jesus said, a part of this greatest commandment is loving God with all of your mind. Now, the other writers of the New Testament, they followed up on that idea. This is Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his close followers. So later on, after Jesus dies and rises again and goes back to heaven, Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Peter sums up his whole purpose for writing to the churches. Written two letters, and he says, both of these letters, my whole purpose was, I want to awaken your mind. I want to get you thinking right thoughts. I want your reasoning to be right, to be true, to be genuine. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, writes, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Stop being so immature in your mind, in your thinking. Now he says, when it comes to evil, in other words, when it comes to morality, I want you to be pure like little kids. I want you to follow purely and innocently in your behavior, in your morality. But when it comes to the way you think, the child illustration doesn't work anymore. Because I don't want you to think like a child. I want you to grow up in the way you think about God and life and relationships. I want you to have mature thinking. We sometimes get this confused because... In spiritual language, we talk about having childlike faith, and that's a great analogy in the sense that I'm to trust God in the innocent, trusting way that children trust, like in kind of the pure, innocent, I believe. That's, that's to characterize our faith, but that's not to characterize our thinking. Our thinking is supposed to grow up. So what does that look like? How, how, do we, how do we grow up our thinking? Some ideas. In order to love God with our mind, we need to think rightly about God. Step number one. In, in order to have mature thinking, as, as Paul wanted, as God wants, as Jesus taught, in order to have mature thinking, then my thoughts about God have to be accurate. As, as accurate as, as they possibly can be. I'll admit this is a way overused quote, but the reason it's way overused is because it's really, really good. So I'm going to use it. A.W. Tozer writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like The thoughts that we have about God, the ideas that we have about what God is like and who God is, that's the most important thing about us because those thoughts become our beliefs and our beliefs become our actions. And the way we treat other people comes, comes back to what I believe about God. The decisions that I make comes back to what I believe about God and who God is and what He's like. The way I interact with this life, the way I prepare for the next life, all of those things come back to my Mental image, my idea of God. Which is why statements that begin with, I can't believe in a God who would, are so out of place. Like I understand the, the emotion behind that statement. 
We use that statement, I can't believe in a God who would, when, when we're trying to figure out good God, messy world. That's all, most often when we try to figure that out. Like, here's God, but here's what I see in front of me. I can't believe in a God who would, but if there is a God, He is not dependent upon what I can believe about Him. He's not dependent upon that. If there is a God, He's already defined His nature. He is. And that's why He tells Moses, I am that I am. I want Forever and ever, I am that I am. He exists in his own nature, in his own character. So the question is never, what kind of God can I believe in? The question is, what is true about the God that is? And how do I know that? And how do I hold that in my mind? Now, the most direct way to find out what God is like is in his word. In order to love God with our mind... Our thoughts about Him, our thoughts about ourselves, and our thoughts about the world must be shaped by what God has already said, specifically in His Word. Now, you came to church this morning, so you probably halfway anticipated me telling you to read your Bible, right? Because that's what you do at church, read your Bible. So I'm telling you, read your Bible, right? That is the most direct revelation of what God is like and who God is, and so I can't honor God with my mind if I don't know how God's already described himself. Like 66 books all compiled into one book. Over and over again, God has told us, well, this is what I'm like. Well, this is what I'm like. Well, this is what you can compare me to. Here's a metaphor about me to help you understand me. This is how I feel about this. This is what I like about this. This is what I command. This is what I command that you don't do. All of that information is written down and given to us in the Word of God. And my mind cannot reflect and understand who God is apart from it. There's like not some better way to understand God other than what He's already said about Himself. Paul says in, in Romans 12, we've, we've referenced these verses a couple of times in the series, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change what's in your mind first, and then your behavior will follow that. Then, you, then your relationships will change when you change your thinking. Then he says next, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do I know what God wants well, I get God's thoughts in my mind. I get who God is in my mind. I, I shape my thinking into the thinking of God through His Word primarily because that's where He's spoken directly and spoken most clearly. And, and, and then let's be honest, outside of God's Word, there's tons of great supplemental material that we have access to. Not to replace reading God's Word, but to help us understand God's word, we live in an amazing time. Unprecedented access. We, we have unprecedented access to information about God and spiritual things. And yes, some of that's really bad information. Right? Be careful about that information. Get, informa uh, get feedback from people that you respect and, and who are mature believers before you dive into that information. But we have this wealth of information 
hundreds of thousands, millions of books that have been written about who God is by great thinkers, great spiritual thinkers, some of them current, some of them not current, that I can use to help shape my thinking around who God is. If you're not a book person, some of us will just say, I'm not a book person. You can get all of them in audio version, right? That's, we live in this wonderful time where there's CDs and they're online and there are podcasts. Like for free, you can go get this more information about who God is and what he's like. There's some incredible teachers and pastors that you can listen to every single day. We use Right Now Media plug you into thousands of Bible studies. If, if you don't have access, just on that card, that connection card, put, I want to get access to Right Now Media. Give me your email. We'll send you access, thousands of videos and Bible studies and teachings about what God is like and who God is. We live in this wonderful time where we can fill our minds with who God is and what He wants and what He desires for our life. In last week's community group, uh, hopefully all of you are plugged into a community group. We're talking about these subjects every week after I've preached on them. In last week's community group, in the, in the devotional that we're using, there was a quote from John Piper that I thought was so classic. Piper said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. In other words, one day we're going to stand before God, and when He asks us about our prayer life and we say, Well, my life was really busy. I really didn't have that much time to pray. God's going to say, well, that's not what your data usage says. <laughs> like your data usage says you had a lot of time on your hands. And it may be God's not going to do that, but, but let's be honest. Our, we have time. And just like we have time for prayer, we have, we have time to fill our minds with, with who God is and, and, and His Word we just have to decide that Jesus really meant it when he commanded us to love God with our mind. We just have to decide that this really is part of the greatest commandment. This is one of the priorities of my life is that my mind gets shaped by the word and the message of God. Next idea. In order to love God with our minds, we must apply what we know of him to the circumstances of our life with wisdom. It's not just knowing, it's not just listening to enough podcasts that can be helpful. Wisdom is the step that, that takes what I know and lives it out in specific circumstances of my life. This is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is learning, which is important. Knowledge is gaining content, which is important. Wisdom is knowing how to take the content that I've learned and actually live it out in the circumstances of my life. Charles Stanley's been the pastor at First Baptist Atlanta forever. His definition of wisdom is the ability to live life skillfully. The ability to live life skillfully. That's what wisdom does. It, it helps me know how to live out what God wants in specific situations. It's also the way that I get to demonstrate wisdom to other people, and even to myself, to say, man, I'm... I'm making progress. I'm making progress in thinking and being like God because I'm able to put it into practice in my daily life. Now, my opinion is that the inability on the part of followers of Jesus, the inability to practice wisdom 
may be doing the most harm to the cause of the gospel than anything else right now. The inability to take the mind of Christ and live it out in my everyday circumstances may be one of the greatest obstacles to people coming to the gospel who are watching our lives. And I I know I come back to this a lot, and the reason I come back to it a lot is because it's such a part of our society. And I'm not a remember the good old days kind of person. I'm really not. I think we live in a great time. I think this is a great time to be alive, technology and advances and discoveries. I think this is an incredible time to be alive. I also think there can't possibly good old, be good old days before air conditioning or indoor plumbing, right? Anything before that cannot possibly be good old days. Um, but, but 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, You interacted with people at church for a few hours a week, and then you didn't hear from them again. You went to work, and you talked about work stuff, and then you went home. You didn't really talk about other things very much. You talked to the neighbor across the fence about everybody's lawn and who needs to trim their bushes, and and then you went inside. You you had no idea what anybody thought about health care reform. You had no idea what people thought about immigration or refugees or the Oscars or some movie or some celebrity. You you had no idea what people thought about state rights or the mainstream media or taxes. No clue what most of the people that you interacted with thought about these issues. There was a time where you didn't know what people thought. And, And I'm not suggesting we should go back to the time when we didn't talk about those. Those are interesting topics. What I'm saying is, fast forward to today, we know what everybody thinks about everything, right? Or or maybe more importantly, we know that there's a lot of people that don't think but talk about everything. I mean, we, we live in a world where it's just out there. And on the one hand... I want to encourage us to love God with all of our mind by filling our mind with the things of God and His Word and what He is like and then putting those to practice in wisdom. But I also want to encourage us to think before we speak and before we post. Have some sort of restraint of the Holy Spirit before we feel the need to wade into every argument and every discussion that's in front of us. For example, asking questions like, do I have enough information to actually comment on this intelligently? Do I know enough about this subject to make an intelligent contribution to its discussion? Very few people are asking that question. Just pull up Facebook, right? Very few people are asking do I know enough about this subject to speak intelligently? Or this question. Do I understand the other person's viewpoint enough to be able to dialogue with them? There used to be kind of this weird rule in debate and logic and argument. And the weird rule was you don't understand the other person's position 
until you can state it in a way that they agree with, which means not calling them idiots, right, or comparing them to Hitler, <laughs> or saying that they're intellectual terrorists or something crazy name that I want to call it. Used to be this guideline that I need to understand the opposing viewpoint and I need to be able to explain it in an objective way so that they could go, yes, that's what I believe. I mean, today we don't even try to understand the other side. We don't even try to figure out where someone's coming from before we launch into an argument. Now, Paul was great at at doing this the right way. And there are many brilliant moments from the life of Paul. If you read the New Testament, book of Acts. One of my favorites is Acts chapter 17. Uh, this, is, this is what we find. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. In other words, Paul was not impassive. Paul, Paul was not uncaring about what was happening in the culture. His heart was burdened. I mean, he looked, he looked around and he saw people without Christ and he saw people living their life in, in ways that didn't honor God and he's burdened by that. So, this is his response, so he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul's approach was, hey, let's talk about this. Let's engage in a discussion. Let's reason with one another about this topic. And as a result, Paul got an audience with the people who disagreed with him. The scripture goes on to say, A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? They called Paul names. Paul didn't call them names. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching, in the, uh, was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Paul's respectful, intellectual, engaging defense of his side earned him an audience with people who completely disagreed with him. But they got to the point where they thought, we want to talk to you more. We, we want to hear your side more. I think it's interesting that it specifically points out what, that what Paul was talking about was Jesus and the resurrection. But Paul did not engage every single topic of the day. Paul did not start with trying to straighten out the government or 50 different things about what they were doing wrong. Paul's reasoning, Paul's defense, Paul's logic was Jesus and the resurrection. I just want to talk to you about this. When you and I engage in every argument on the internet... When we name call, when we exaggerate, when we fail to understand issues... We are undermining our ability to intelligently persuade people to Christ. When we feel the need to step into every arena, we are undermining the intellectual foundation of being able to present a defense 
of Jesus. And it happens all the time. And I'm hesitant to give examples, but I'm going to give examples anyway. (laughs) Earlier this week, earlier this week, there was this posting that blew up on the internet that Matt Lauer and MSNBC had edited out the names God and Jesus in an interview they did with the widow of an American soldier. And Matt Lauer had this interview, and they mentioned God and religion and Christ and talked very specifically about their faith. And then every time they replayed the interview, they edited those things out. And people were posting, we got to stop this. This has to end. Why do they keep doing this? The problem was, it wasn't true. The problem was the best investigation of the story was that they did not intentionally edit those things out. Yeah, some of, the, some of the replays were shorter than others. The second part was it happened in 2011. It was six years old, and we were ready to burn the place down in the name of Jesus. Because we didn't step back and just ask some basic intellectual questions. And listen, the more we're stepping into these things, the more we're speaking out on these things where we don't have all of the information, the more we're eroding the intellectual foundation that we have to present Christ. There's another one that goes around about every six months. It's the, one, it's, it's the article that claims that artifacts from Pharaoh's army have been found at the bottom of the Red Sea, proving that the exodus of the Bible is literally true. And about every six months, there'll be five or six people that'll repost this. See, I told you. The problem is, if you read all the way to the bottom of the article, it comes from a satire website that just totally makes up stories, completely fabricates stories. One of our challenges in this intellectual arena, one of our challenges is we want some things to be true. Like, we want bad things to be true about people we disagree with, and we want good things to be true about people we agree with. So we're so trigger happy when it comes to that, that as soon as we say something bad about the bad people, we repost it, and as soon as we see something good about our people, we repost it, without, without ever asking, is this even true? Is this exaggerated? Is this completely made up? And sometimes I'll talk to people about this, and I'll get the justification, well, it could be true. Well, they do that sometimes. Well, that could have happened. Yes, but what you posted is not true. It's not true. We are called to love God with our minds There's this cycle that I've noticed. I've just been watching it play out. There's this cycle among Christians and the internet right now. It goes something like this. There's a company or a CEO or a celebrity or a movie that supposedly said or did something that is against Christian values. 
And so there's a group of Christians that rise up and condemn and we're going to boycott and we're never going to do that and we can't believe they said. And then the very next day, there's another group of Christians that rise up and condemn the Christians that are condemning the other group. And so those two groups of Christians start arguing with each other and then Christian bloggers write uh, write pieces against other Christian bloggers and then two days later, there's a whole new issue and it starts all over again. We're mad at them. Well, we're mad at the Christians who are mad at them. And then we do it again with another issue that may not even be true. And and here's a world that, admittedly, full of people who don't believe what we believe, who, who aren't on board with what we believe, question what we believe, and they're seeing our lack of intellectual honesty when it comes to all of these issues. So how are they going to be persuaded? How are they going to be reasoned with from the gospel if we're sacrificing intellectual honesty because we want something bad against them or something good against them? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, take captive every thought. Hold it up to the light. Ask God, is this true? Is this right? Is this going to be helpful? Take captive every thought. It's specifically in the context of dealing with attacks from the world. Attacks from the God. The world is not going to believe everything we believe. They're not going to affirm everything that we believe. And in that context, Paul says, look, you've, you've got to be sharp in your thinking. You've got to know what's true. And you've got to know what's false. Love God with all our minds. Now, I think part of this battle comes down to simply prioritizing what I'm going to hold in my mind. And there's only so much that you're going to hold in your mind from day to day. Some of this begins with me deciding I'm just not going to keep that in my brain anymore. I'm just not going to enter those types of arguments anymore. I'm I'm not going to let my mind go in that direction. In order to fill my mind with the things of God, there's probably a a lot of other things I need to get out of my mind to create space for what God wants to do in my thinking and in my reasoning and in my logic. Listen, we need followers of Jesus who can defend the faith, who can rationally and yet winsomely defend the cause of Jesus, defend God's word, simply saying, well, I just believe is not enough. I mean, I know belief and faith is is what we put in Christ. But when Paul says, I want your thinking to be mature, he's saying, look, I want you to be able to give a reason for what you believe. I I, I want you to rationally, reasonably be able to dialogue with other people about why you believe what you believe. So as we we leave, here's two questions I'm going to leave with you. Two questions for all of us to ask. What am I allowing to take up space in my thinking That is moving me away from Christ. As I'm trying to love God with all of my mind. As I'm trying to love God intellectually. 
rationally? What am I allowing to take up space in my mind that is not pushing me towards Christ but pulling me away from Christ? And I need to get it out of my mind. And secondly, what am I filling my mind with that's moving me towards Christ? I mean, what am I putting in that's helping me see myself, see the world, see other people, the way God sees those things? What's going into my mind that's helping me love God with all of my mind? Let's pray. God, I ask that you would help us in a world where there's so much emotional reaction. We're so often guided by emotion and knee-jerk reaction instead of our, allowing our emotions to be guided by our mind, to be guided by thoughts that are true and pure. God, like every time, we live in a day and age where people want winsome, reasonable defenses for what we believe. And not everybody's going to accept it. Not everybody's going to listen. But as followers of Jesus, we can't be drawn in to false fights. We, we can't be drawn into secondary issues. And the gospel of Jesus needs to be clearly proclaimed. There are people who need to know Christ. God, help us to love you with our mind. Help us to have grown-up thinking, mature thoughts and ideas about you and about the world. I pray it in Jesus' name.